Hallelujah. We thank God for tonight and we give God all the praise and all the glory. The Lord God is with us. The Lord God is in our midst. And I would want you to know something that the, the church of the living God is a place where Jesus reigns supreme as king. Hallelujah. And Jesus reigns supreme as king in the life of the church through his word. The manner in which Christ reigns supreme amongst his people amidst his church is through his word. The Bible says where the word of a king is there is power. What is that power? It is the it, it is the controlling force of the life of the people. Anytime a king speaks, his word carries the power to become law in the life of the people, determining the the things they believe and determining the way they do things and commanding obedience from them. Hallelujah. In the same way, the word of Christ commands obedience from us. The word of Christ is what determines the way we believe, the things we believe, the way we see things, the things we perceive. It controls the way we live our lives. It orders our lives in the kingdom. Because he is the king. And his word is what rules in our lives. So Jesus reigns supreme in the church through his word. Hallelujah, through his word. So every now and then, when the Lord will want to do something, he will speak his word to us. So the greatest thing as a believer you should long for is his word. Hallelujah. You should long for his word. Nothing more, nothing less. His word is what you should long for. Tonight, I want to share a few things with you. By the Spirit of God, from Romans chapter number 5. If you have your Bibles, turn with me. If you have noticed lately, I, I, I've been doing a lot of taking, you know, uh, verse by verse and going through it with you. You know, I, I love, I, I like that kind of exegesis, you know, where you actually walk through the scriptures verse by verse to unravel the meaning of the text so that we can apply it to our lives. Today we are going to do the same. Romans chapter number 5. Romans chapter number 5, uh, we are going to read from verse 1 to 8, and we'll walk through it verse by verse and unravel the mystery of the new life that we have in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Mm -hmm. It's a very beautiful, very beautiful chapter. As a matter of truth, the entire book of Romans is so beautiful. The entire book of Romans is so beautiful. Guess what? Scholars say that the book of Romans is actually the greatest thesis that has been written concerning the salvation message or concerning the gospel. It talks about every foundational truth in the Bible. It talks about regeneration. It talks about justification. It talks about Israel. It talks about the Gentiles. It talks about our future hope. It talks about everything, the resurrection. Of the, it talks about every single thing. It talks about predestination, election. It talks about every single thing. Romans is beautiful. And I would actually encourage you to read the entire book of Romans. So beautiful. But today our focus is Romans chapter 5. From verse 1, I read here. The Bible says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, 
we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Mm. The word therefore means that he's making a statement as a result of what he has said previously, meaning we have to go back to the ending of chapter 4 to find out what the apostle said. You know, when the, when the Bible was written, it was not written in chapters and verses. It was just written as a long letter. But, you know, the translators put it in chapters and verses so that, you know, we can easily make meaning of it. But when we go back to verse 4, sorry, chapter 4, when you look at the very last verse, verse 20, um, Verse 24, it says, But for us also it will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised him from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So we know that Jesus was delivered for our trespasses. That means that God gave Jesus for our sins. He was delivered onto the cross for our sins. And he was raised up from the dead for our justification. Hallelujah. Then he says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith. Now, there's a couple of things I want you to note here. The Bible did not say you have been justified by faith and. The moment you begin to say your justification came by faith and, you enter into error. And that is where most of our, our brothers the Catholic Church and, you know, Mormons and, and Jehovah Witnesses and some others have deviated from the truth and entered into gross error because they believe that justification is by faith and something else. Faith and works. Faith and something else. But the Bible says that, therefore, since you have been justified by faith, faith alone, faith alone, faith alone, the Bible says that, not by works of righteousness which we have done. The Bible says, For by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Nothing of yours contributed to your justification. Now the question you ask is, Pastor Sam, what is justification in the, in the What is justification? Hallelujah. What is that? Justification means to be declared innocent or to be declared not guilty or righteous before the sight of God. You and I know that we were sinners and enemies of God. But God has declared us righteous. How? Through the imputation of the righteousness of Christ upon us. And that is at the heart of the gospel. The heart of the gospel is the perfect life of Christ. The perfect, sinless, righteous life of Christ has been imputed to us who were sinful. And because of that, we have been declared righteous by God. And because of that, we are justified in His sight and declared not guilty. So when Christ died, when he took upon himself our sins on the cross and he died, we were in him. In the mind of justice, that is in the mind of God, when Christ died, we died. When he was hanging on the cross, we were hanging on the cross. So in the mind of justice, we know that those that have come to believe in Christ, we were in Christ on the cross paying for our sins. Hallelujah. In Christ. So when he died, we died. So through death, we paid for the penalty of our sin in Christ Jesus. 
But you see, the story does not end there. Hallelujah. If that was just it, we could have still gone back into our sins. But the Bible says that he was raised back to life, newness of life by the power of the Holy Ghost. That means that the old life that was full of sin and had to pay the penalty of sin died and was done away with. Now the new man had come that had never sinned before. And this new man is standing before God and God declared him not guilty. Hallelujah. Because he has never sinned before. That is the concept of justification. Because the righteousness of Christ has been imputed unto us. Hallelujah. So he declares us not guilty. And this has been effected unto us by faith. By faith and faith alone. So the Bible says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, guess what? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What kind of peace is that? The Greek word there is irene. And it means to set at one again. You see, prior to our justification, uh, we were enemies of God. There was hostility between God and us. And when you look in the Middle East right now, there's a lot of hostility going on between Iran and America and, you know, and between Iran and Israel, a lot of, there's tension between them. They are not at peace. There's tension, there's hostility. One wants to bomb the other. In the same way, when we were in our sins, there was hostility between God and us. We were under the wrath of God. This is a part of the gospel that is not really told people. Listen, when you were saved, you were saved from the wrath of God. When you are not saved, the Bible says that you are under condemnation already. The wrath of God is burning hot against you. When we preach the gospel to unbelievers, it is better we tell them that the wrath of God is burning hot against them. It's burning hot against the wicked and and their sin. That is why the only safe place and the only refuge is in Christ Jesus. It is not a joke. When we tell men to come to Christ Jesus, we are telling men to escape the wrath of God that is coming. Not just merely to come and experience His love, but to escape the wrath of God that is coming. When we are in our sins, there was wrath from God upon us because of that wrath. You know, when two people are at loggerheads, they hate each other. God hated. There was hatred. That was why there was a manifestation of His wrath against us. Hallelujah. But because we have been justified now in Christ, the Bible says the dividing wall of hostility has been broken down. The wrath of God has been stopped. We have been taken from under the wrath of God and we are at peace with God now through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. We are one again. We are not no longer at loggerheads. You and God are no longer at loggerheads. And nothing you do by yourself is ever going to put you at loggerheads with God unless you turn away from this great salvation. Now says we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. And look at verse 2. It says, Through him we, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Wow. A beautiful thing. We have access by faith into this grace. What is that grace? That unmerited favor of God. The prized possession of all religions. 
or the most coveted prize of all religions is the favor of God. Everybody wants to be pleasing in the sight of God. So the Muslims fast five times a day, go on pilgrimages, doing everything so that they may be pleasing to God. The Catholics will pray their rosary. They will do everything, go for confessions, confessing sins they have done and sins they have not even committed, confessing every day, even some paying money so that they may be, they may gain the favor of God. But this grace has come to us through Christ Jesus and we have been able to access it by our faith in Him. And now through faith, we stand in this grace. This is your spiritual position now, dearly beloved. You are standing in the grace of God. You are standing in a place where you are well pleasing to the Father. Hallelujah. I'm well pleasing to the Father. You are well pleasing to the Father. That is where you stand now. When the Bible talks about you standing in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, it means that you are standing in a place where you are well pleasing to the Father. It is a grace. It is a place of His unmerited favor. His favor is shining on you. Whereas previously the wrath of God was against you, now His face shines with favor upon you. Previously His face was shining and burning hot with wrath against you. Anger, the anger of God was burning hot against you. But in Christ Jesus, because you stand in this grace, His face shines with favor upon you. Hallelujah. Favor in everything. Favor in everything. Because of Christ Jesus. And look at, look at what follows. The Bible says, We have obtained access by faith in, in this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. What does that mean? What was the apostle talking about? And we rejoice in hope of the glory. Listen, we are saved by hope. Or we have been saved into hope. The hope of the glory of God. That is the realization of God's glory at the consummation of all things. It is a hope that we have. That we shall realize the glory of God. That we shall see the glory of God. That in the end, God shall transform our vile bodies. And we shall put on glorified bodies. And in that end, all things shall be glorified and be made fully manifest. Hallelujah. Amen. The Bible says that we rejoice in this hope. We rejoice in this hope. One of the marks of a believer is that he rejoices in the hope. Of the glory of God. Part of that glory is the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But the Bible says that when we shall see him, we shall be like him. That is why I always contend that the believer that does not rejoice in the coming of the Lord Jesus, there's something wrong with him fundamentally. Especially in his theology and what he has believed. Hallelujah. We rejoice in hope. We rejoice in hope. You're always longing for that future glory. The Bible says that we also groan in ourselves. All creation groan. They are waiting the manifestation of the sounds of God. And we also groan to put off this vile body, to take on our heavenly abode, which is our glorified bodies. We rejoice in hope. We rejoice in hope. Look at Abraham. The Bible says, 
that he saw the city whose builder and maker was God. And because he had such hope in himself, he always rejoiced. He always rejoiced. He always rejoiced. And because he rejoiced, he grew strong in faith daily, giving glory to God. Hallelujah. Rejoicing in hope. Rejoicing in hope. Look at verse 3. The Bible says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. You see, when you got born again, when you got saved, God could have taken you to heaven right away. But he left you here on the earth for a reason. And when he left you on the earth here, he gave you a promise. And that promise has given you hope of the future. And it is in this hope that you rejoice. Hallelujah. And while you tarry here on the earth until the realization of that promise, the Bible says that there are things we call sufferings. But even in those sufferings, we rejoice in them. Why? Because we know that suffering produces endurance. Jesus said, in this world you will have many troubles, but cheer up, I have overcome the world. Jesus said, in this world you have many troubles. Let me tell you, dearly beloved, there is a place of sufferings in the Christian faith. There is a part sufferings have to play in perfecting us. The Bible says that though he was a son, talking about Jesus, yet learned he obedience through the things he suffered. Christians don't like to suffer these days because of the kind of teaching that is coming out of the pulpit to us. Which makes it seem as if that when you suffer, it means that you lack faith. There is something wrong with your faith. You are not strong in your faith. That is why you are suffering. Maybe you have sinned against God. That is why you are suffering. But I tell you, the Bible says that for our light afflictions, which are but for a moment, are working together for us a far more exceeding weight of glory. I, I refuse to be convinced with them, but rather I'm convinced with Paul, who said that I may know him. And he continues to say in that Philippians chapter 2 verse 10, when you read down, he said, and be made conformable to him in sufferings. Paul said to Timothy, take your part in the sufferings of Christ. To fulfill your part in the sufferings of Christ. Hallelujah. But you see, amidst all these sufferings, we have hope. Because we know that all these sufferings are working together for us. A far more exceeding weight of glory. So what did James say? What did James say? When you go to James, oh, I love it. James, turn with me in your Bibles quickly to James chapter number 1. Let's see something about suffering. James chapter number 1, verse 1 to 3. I want us to actually read it. James 1, 1 to 3. You see, the early believers, they had a certain understanding. I wonder where we deviated from. James 1, 1 to 3. Look at it. From verse 2. Let's, count, let's look from verse 2. The Bible says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you are met with, when you meet trials of various kinds. The other version says, Count it all joy, brethren, when you face various trials and temptations. What are those things? They are sufferings. For you know that the testing of your faith, that is the key. That means that the sufferings we go through are a test of our faith. Brother, your faith will be tried. Yes, sister, 
your faith will be tried. God will try your faith through suffering. God will try your faith through sufferings. Does that mean that God is going to bring calamity upon you? Maybe cause your mom to die and plague you with some sickness, cancer, and all of that, saying he's testing your faith? No, not that. But you see, in this world itself, there are many troubles, like Jesus said. And all these troubles, God uses them. God has a way of using the trouble to try our faith. Hallelujah. It may come in different ways and in different forms for each one of us. But remember that when they come in your life, it is a trial of your faith. The Bible says that, have you not heard of the patience of Job? Hallelujah. It was a test of his faith. It was a test of his faith. Look at Joseph. The Bible says that before his word came to pass, the word of God tried him. It was a test of his faith. Jacob could have forgotten about the promise of God and just accused God and thought that God had forsaken him, even when he was in the pit. But Jacob knew that it was a test of his faith. Let's go back to our scripture, Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 5, sorry. The Bible says, not only that, but we rejoice in sufferings. Listen, there's a, you, see, you see the kind of words they use? We rejoice in sufferings. Count it all joy. My goodness. Wow. It says, for knowing that suffering produces endurance. One of the words that is missing in our vocabulary as Christians these days is endurance. We don't like to endure at all. But I tell you, dearly beloved, I will pray for you daily for the grace to endure. The Bible says that them that endure to the end shall be saved. That means that God will want you to endure certain things. That means to bear up under the weight of certain things that will come your way. You know that when trials and temptations come your way, when persecutions and troubles and tribulations come your way, they, they are almost like a weight in the realm of the spirit upon you. Even in the, in the physical realm, they are like a weight upon you. But the Lord said, because my grace is sufficient for you, you can bear up under it. You endure it unto the end. Hallelujah. Amen. He said that suffering produces what? Endurance. Listen. It's easy when you, you know, you can die a one-time death for Christ as a matter and you go to heaven. That is very easy to do. But the daily choice of living for Jesus and enduring the suffering that comes along with it is what Christianity really is about. Hallelujah. That is the kind of life that is portrayed to us by Christ, by Paul. The early believers. These are the examples that we have. We have even examples from the patriarchs of old. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses. The Bible says that he endured as seeing him was invincible. Hallelujah. Endurance. And faith generation, I tell you, dearly beloved, one of the prayers we'll keep praying is the grace to endure. Paul said, concerning this thing, I besought the Lord three times to take 
to take it away. He said, no, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. Grace to endure. Hallelujah. Then he says, endurance produces character. You see, you, you see why God allows that suffering? The Bible says, yet lend he obedience by the things he endured. The Bible says, endurance produces character. Character, character, character. God is trying to fashion the character of Christ in you. And the channel through which he is doing that, the Holy Ghost is doing that, is through endurance. So don't run away from it sometimes. Don't run from it. There are things you have rebuked and rebuked and rebuked. They are not leaving you. The Bible is God is trying to tell you, my grace is sufficient for you to endure. He's trying to build some character in you. Some of you, God has, sometimes God allows certain people to be in your life. That always brings, they are almost like a thorn in your flesh. And you wish God would just take them away or God would just kill them. But God is saying endure because through that endurance, he's producing a certain Christ-like character of love. There are people in your life, they, they, you know, they just cause you to be so angry. They give you multiplied reasons to hate them every day. But God is trying to produce in you that character of love. And I tell you, one of the easiest ways God does that is through marriage. I'm not married yet, but I believe that my <laughs> brethren who are married, they can testify. <laughs> Hallelujah. Marriage is one of the easiest places for God to develop your character. Especially the character of love. Hallelujah. Amen. So you see, the mind of God or the goal of God is character building. Character building. Character. The character of Christ. Hallelujah. And look at it. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now let's take it. Let's take it one by one. Character produces hope. After you have endured under the weight of tribulation and, tr and, and troubles, and the character of Christ is produced in you. That character produces hope. It strengthens your hope in the promise of God the Father. Hallelujah. Mm -hmm. when the thing that will sustain you through endurance is the hope itself. Mm -hmm. Because you know that God is doing something. He is working something in you. So that endurance that will produce the character will strengthen the hope of glory in your heart. And the Bible says hope does not put us to shame. Hallelujah. Let me tell you, the hope that we have is not a dead hope. The hope we rejoice about in Christ is not a dead hope. It is a living hope. The Bible says that we are being born again unto a living hope. Why is it a living hope? Because the person who gave us that hope is alive. He is not dead. That is Jesus Christ. He is our living hope. And because he is alive, there is a song we sing, Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Job said, I know my Redeemer needed. And that he will stand on the earth in the last day. 
It is a living hope. Hope does not make a shame. It's not like the things we preach about, maybe it will happen or maybe it will not happen. Like the rapture. We, don't, we are not sure whether it will happen or it will not happen. Whether Christ will come again or he will not come again. It is just something that we use to comfort our... No, no, these are certainties. You understand? Our hope does not make a shame. It is for sure that Christ will come back. It is for sure that we shall be glorified with him. It is for sure that he will take us that where he is there we may be also. It is not a joke. Our hope does not make a shame. And he has already given us proof of that. Why does our hope does not that's why why is it that our hope does not put us to shame? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. To understand that text, you have to quickly go to verse 6. Look at verse 6. It says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Do you see that? All throughout Scripture, God had promised through the prophets and through the patriarchs of old that he would send a Redeemer we would come to manifest his love for us. Even while we were yet sinners. It was a promise. It was a hope. And the Bible says concerning the patriarchs of old. That they through faith and patience obtained the promises. And that is evidence to us. That this hope that we have is not going to put us to shame. Do you know Moses prophesied about Jesus to come? Even God, the very day that Adam and Eve sinned, when God came, he gave a prophecy. He said that, you know, he said to Eve, that your seed will crush the head of the serpent, and the serpent will bruise his heel. That was a prophetic message of hope for, for the human race. And that hope did not put us to shame. That hope came to pass when God typified the coming and the death of Christ on Mount Moriah. With Abraham and Isaac, that hope did not fail. That hope came to pass. When he gave prophecy through, through Jeremiah, through Isaiah, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That prophecy did not put to shame. It was a prophetic hope for mankind. And it came to pass. One cool night when nobody suspected in some manger somewhere in Bethlehem. The Bible says that Jesus, our hope, was born. The hope of God did not fail. In the same way God is telling you this hope we have now of glory to come. In the same way it did not fail the first time, it will not fail again. Hope does not make us saved. Hallelujah. Why? Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. How is God's love shed abroad if that first hope had not come to pass? If Christ had not died on the cross, how would the love of God be shed abroad in your heart? How would you even know that love? How would you know it? It was because that first hope came to pass. Hallelujah. Amen. The Bible says that for while we were still weak, while we were still helpless, while we were still hopeless, while we could not do anything for ourselves, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Hallelujah. Christ died for the ungodly. That is you and I. Those days when we were enemies of God. Let me tell you something. The sinner is an enemy of God. 
Let's not joke about it. The sinner is an enemy of God. That's what the Bible says. The sinner is an enemy of God. And God hates the wicked man. God does not just hate sin. I'm telling you. The Bible says that it, it, it's almost as if it is a mystery, but it's not a mystery. The Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That does not mean that God does not hate the wicked man. He does. That is why his wrath is against all those who are wicked and all those who reject the son. <laughs> but then there are two sides to the coin. Let's not preach one and leave the other. That is why when we tell men to escape the wrath to come, we are not joking. The fiery anger of God is burning hot. It is very hot. He is not joking. Hallelujah. But the Bible says that while we were yet weak, at the right time Christ died for us. The Bible says, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This tells us of how that we did not choose God, but God chose us. Do you know that in your sinful state, you couldn't have done anything to choose God? The Bible says no one seeks God. No one seeks God. The sinner is not looking for God. Most times, we hear people say, you know, the sinners are looking for God and all of that in their life. And no, no, no. The sinner is not looking for God. How could the sinner look for God? The sinner is looking for the things of God. He's looking for peace. He's looking for joy. He's looking for so many things that will make his life comfortable. But he's not looking for God. Even though God is the one who gives these things, the sinner is not looking for the giver, but he's looking for the things that the giver gives. Hallelujah. Man. The sinner is running away from God. That is why God had to send the son to come look for him. Well, were we? Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Jesus said, no one can come to me except the Father draws him. That means that salvation is, an, is a complete act of God himself. Absolutely bereft of anything that you think you can do. Nothing of you can gain the salvation. Jesus said, you did not choose me, I chose you. He chose you from the foundations of the world. Hallelujah. Amen. And the Father draw you through the gospel. He drew, he, he drew you to himself through the gospel. That's how, he, that's how he, he, he accomplished it. And through that he demonstrated his love for us. In the while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. Let me tell you something. That scripture carries a lot of weight. I tell you, dearly beloved, it carries a lot of weight. While we were yet sinners, while we were totally helpless, not only that we were helpless, we were his enemies too. <laughs> Two troubles, one God. We were helpless in our faith, and we were his enemies too. But his great love. Made him do what was necessary to effect our salvation. Listen, that's what the Bible says. That what shall we do if if we neglect so great a salvation? Salvation we have is not a joke. I'm telling you. 
That's what the Bible says that if we crucify Christ afresh again, there is no other sacrifice left for us. This great salvation which we have, it's not a joke. To become a Christian, to be regenerated by the Holy Ghost into newness of life, brethren, it is not a joke. It is not a joke. It is not as though we have just, you know, oh, we grew up in church together and we are just, no, 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 no. This is a matter of life and death. This is a matter of being in the favor of God or being under the wrath of God to come. It's not a joke. And that is how you should see your salvation. So in the scriptures that we have read, I'm going to end it here. We have seen that we have been justified by faith. We have seen that we are at peace with God now. We have seen that we stand in the grace and that the favor of God shines upon us and not the wrath of God. We have seen that we've been called unto a living hope. And this hope does not disappoint. Hallelujah. Listen, some of your your atheist friends who like to argue with you, sometimes they tell you what if you are wrong. Brethren, there is no what if you are wrong. (laughs) There's nothing like that. There's nothing like, you know, there's something we call Pascal's wager, Blaise Pascal, one of the uh, physicist, um, he was a French physicist. You know, he, he studied Christianity and he studied the atheist argument and he came up with something. He said that if Christians are right, if, if the Christian is right, then if he dies, he gains heaven. But if he's wrong, he doesn't lose anything either. Mm-hmm. But if the atheist is right, he dies, nothing happens. But if he's wrong, then he dies, there's trouble. That's what we call the Pascal's wager. But you see, even though that is nice and all, it's still not right. Because there's nothing like what if with us. It is a certainty. Hallelujah. It is as sure as Christ rose from the grave. Jesus rose from the grave. It is not a symbolic thing. It is something that truly happened. Jesus is the Son of God in truth. It is real. And in the same way, our hope will not disappoint. Brethren, our hope will not disappoint. We are looking for that blessed hope that is to come. That is what our heart longs for. Therefore, we rejoice daily. No matter the kind of afflictions we go through, no matter the kind of sufferings we go through, we know that like Christ, he lent obedience to the things that he suffered. We know that suffering will produce patience. And patience, when it has done its perfect work, will produce endurance and perseverance in us. And perseverance and endurance will produce character in us. And because of that, we know very well that our hope will not disappoint. It will not disappoint. It will not disappoint. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. It will not disappoint. When Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, he wasn't joking. He meant it. He meant it. And I tell you, brethren, we are closer than we first believed. We are closer than we first believed. So I encourage you, rejoice in hope. Hallelujah. Rejoice in hope. Rejoice in hope. 
Rejoice in this. Rejoice in sufferings. Rejoice in suffering. Take your part in the sufferings of Christ. I don't mean go and, go and create sufferings for your own self. And think you are. <laughs> you know, one of the theologies of the Catholic, they whip, them, they whip themselves. Saying they are suffering for Christ. No, no, that's not what I'm talking about. They are taking their part in the sufferings of Christ. No, 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 no. Don't create unnecessary suffering for yourself. No. No. But when you suffer for righteousness sake, I'm telling you, I'm not a prophet of doom. Some of you, because of your faith, you will lose your job. Sometimes if you are not careful, even because of your faith, if you are not careful, your family might forsake you. Because of your faith. Because you've chosen to stand firm in the faith. These things, they sound very unpleasant, but they are the realities. When the time comes, you must be ready. And you must rejoice. Hallelujah. Rejoice. Don't cry. Hallelujah. Brethren, Hebrews chapter number 6, verse 13. The Bible says that for when God made promise to Abraham, because he could not swear by no greater, he swear by himself, saying, In blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I multiply thee. And the Bible says that, and so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. After he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Bearing, we have a promise of a future hope. And after we have patiently endured, we would obtain the promise. Hallelujah. After we are patiently, we have an example in Abraham, the father of faith. He patiently endured unto the obtaining of the promise. And so we also, after we are patiently endured, we shall obtain the promise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And on that day when we get there, we shall be singing and rejoicing. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that when we all see Jesus, we will be what a day of freedom that Hallelujah. Amen. On that day when we see Jesus, I know your heart will be so glad. Mine will be too. Mine will be too, brethren. When we see our living hope, the man we have loved so much. I don't know about you, but that is why you see now that we are on earth, we have to abound in the work of the Lord. So that when we meet him, 
will rejoice, knowing that we accomplished the work that He gave us. That is why we have to endure now, so that when we meet Him, we know that we did not chicken out, but we endured faithfully unto the end. Hallelujah. Let's not play games. Let's not play games. Because I told you, when you see the face of Jesus, and your life flashes before you, and you recognize the many opportunities you had and you wasted, you weep. You weep. You weep. You weep. I remember one time I had a dream. In the dream, I, I was in heaven with all the Bible study guys at Drake. We had a Bible study at Drake. We were all there in heaven. I saw everybody. Marin was there. Sally was there. Everybody who was in the Bible study at Drake, they were there. They were in heaven. They were rejoicing. We were all rejoicing. They were actually sitting down playing cards and we were rejoicing. And we were so excited. And I turned my back and I saw Jesus walking to us. And I, the moment I saw him, I was so excited. I jumped up. I was so excited. But immediately sorrow overtook my heart also. And I started weeping. And I couldn't understand why I was weeping. And I walked to Jesus and I asked Jesus, Jesus, why am I weeping? All my life I've longed to see you. Why am I weeping now? You know what he said to me? He said, son, because whilst you were on earth, there were many other things you could have done for me. Brethren. We have to abound in the work of the Lord. And at that time I said to my son, I said, Lord, we are running this Bible study. We are doing this. We are doing that. What other things are there to be done? What other things are there to be done? Brethren, there's so much you could do in the work of the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. You can give yourself first, yourself your time, your time, your treasure, your treasure. The Bible says that where your treasure is, that is where your heart will be. Your treasure. Give it for the work of the Lord. And then your talent. Bring it for the work of the Lord. Use it for the work of the Lord. The Bible says, whatsoever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all. In the name of Jesus, giving glory to God by Him. Brethren, we sang the song, I Surrender, is the, is the totality of our life that is given to Him. We don't give part, we don't give just 10% or, or some percent, we give everything, He owns everything, you understand? Hallelujah. Thank you, Father, tonight. Thank you, Father, tonight. Thank you, Father, tonight. I pray that let your word remain in our hearts. And let it continue to admonish us and teach us to walk in the way everlasting. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen.